You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, When the Dutch do something, we should pay attention because the Dutch get a lot of things right. Dense and walkable cities, amazing bike infrastructure, healthcare for all, not single payer, but affordable, well-regulated and universal. Also a constitutional monarch. I am a fan of those. And the Dutch are always way out in front on social issues, many of them near and dear to my heart. They've defined sex work as a legal profession since 1988. They've allowed for the recreational use of pot since 1976, and they were the first country in the world to legalize same-sex marriage in 2001. So, yeah, when the Dutch do something, we should pay attention. Because odds are good, they're doing something right. And very often, doing it first. Quick aside, the Dutch legalized prostitution. They didn't decriminalize prostitution. Decriminalization is better for reasons we've discussed. And we pretty much lapped the Dutch on legal weed. What we're doing here even in Washington state is better and more progressive than what they're doing there in Amsterdam. But still, they got their first respect. All right. Like most of the rest of the health authorities around the world, at the start of this pandemic, Dutch health authorities advised people to only have sex with partners they lived with, long-established or hurriedly established cohabitating sex partners. Single people who didn't want to shack up with someone for the duration, single people who didn't want to invite someone to be their quarantine or didn't have someone to invite, those single people were told, well, too bad for you. Hopefully it won't be years until we have a vaccine. And in the meantime, you are your safest sex partner. Hope you laid in some batteries. Pretty much the same advice where sex is concerned that health authorities have been giving out everywhere. And while I'm no health authority, it is the advice we've been giving on this show But last week, the Dutch issued some new guidance. They gave some new sex advice to single people. In a typically open-minded intervention, The Guardian reported, official guidance from the Dutch National Institute for Public Health and the Environment has been amended to suggest those without a permanent sexual partner come to mutually satisfactory agreements with like-minded individuals. The Dutch Institute's change of mind follows the expression of immense frustration in some quarters at the rules for single people. As Dutch journalist Linda Duitz wrote in an op-ed, proximity and physical contact are not a luxury, they are basic needs. If we have learned anything from the AIDS epidemic, it is that not having sex is not an option. I agree. Physical contact is a basic need. That's one of the reasons I support decriminalizing sex work. And Duitz is right. Not having sex wasn't an option for us during the AIDS epidemic. The people most at risk at the time, the first people who got sick, gay men, we were encouraged not to have sex at all, often by the same people who didn't want us to have sex before AIDS came along. If we had sex, they told us we risked our lives, lives they didn't want us to lead anyway. The difference, though, between having sex during that pandemic and this pandemic, if I may be crude, and I often am, The difference was that if I got fucked in the ass by some guy in 1988, if I took that risk while at the same time doing what I could to minimize the danger by using condoms, by having sex with guys I trusted, trusted to be safe, not trusted to be negative. I had plenty of sex with pause guys. If I took that risk, I was only putting myself at risk. I didn't put the people I came into casual contact with after I got fucked in the ass at risk because I didn't have anal sex with everybody on the subway after I left or at the pizza place where I stopped for a slice, or with my parents when I got home. The human immunodeficiency virus was different, much harder to catch than the novel coronavirus, and much harder to transmit. You can't transmit HIV to someone by exhaling on them, or by touching something someone else might touch a half an hour later. But that said, I agree with Duets, and I agree with the Dutch health authorities, We can't ask people to go without physical contact, to go without sex forever. And if we don't give people the information they need to have sex as safely as they can, people will have sex recklessly when they can. The Dutch are showing us the way. Again, Dutch health authorities are encouraging single Dutch people, single Dutch people who want to have sex, which not all single people do, asexuality, the new superpower. Dutch health authorities are encouraging single people to find sex buddies. Singular, actually not plural, a sex buddy. 
And the Dutch are being told to carefully screen their potential sex buddies to figure out how many people your potential sex buddy is in regular contact with, to disclose how many people you're in regular contact with. And the greater the number, the greater the risk. So maybe cut back those numbers and find yourself a sex buddy. But it's not as simple as doing now what gay men did then. We had a lot of sex during the AIDS epidemic. And even as we controlled for the much easier to manage risks of having sex during that pandemic, a lot of people got infected and a lot of people died. The risks of having sex during this pandemic can't be eliminated any more than the risks of having sex during the AIDS pandemic could. But the risk could be managed and mitigated then and can be managed and mitigated now. And the Dutch are once again way out in front. Not just by talking to people about how to have sex during this pandemic, but by acknowledging the legitimacy of wanting to have sex and seeking sex, even at a time like this. All right, coming up on today's show, we have tons of your cues, tons of my A's. And on the Magnum edition of the show, Diana Adams joins us. She is a lawyer who works with LGBTQ and polyamorous families. She's here to talk about the challenges poly folks are navigating during this dangerous time. I also want to let you know that Nancy and I are going to be doing our first ever Savage Love live stream. We may not be able to come to your city and do the show live, but you can come to us on your computer. Send in your questions to livestream at savagelovecast.com. Keep them short and sweet, please, and we may answer your question on the show. You can also submit your questions during the show right there on chat. It's a little experiment we're doing. It's going to be really fun. It's also a fundraiser for a local food bank here in Seattle, and Terry and I are going to be matching the first $2,000 in ticket sales for the event and donating that to the food bank. We would love to have you join us. It's going to be on June 4th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can get your tickets now at savagelovecast.com slash events. Have you heard about Eva? It's a vibrator for couples that provides hands-free clitoral stimulation in a small, powerful package. And it's made by Dame Products, a woman-founded company making the world a better place, one vulva at a time. Visit dameproducts.com slash savage to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Tushy, the modern bidet attachment that your butt will love and everyone who loves your butt will love too. Visit www.hellotushy.com for 10% off your entire order when you use the promo code SAVAGE. Stop wiping and start washing. Support for today's show, support we are very grateful for, comes from Stamps.com. With Stamps.com, you can access all the amazing services of the post office right from your desk in your own home, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Just click print mail and you are done. It could not be easier. And right now, use Savage for this special offer. Includes free postage, a digital scale, and a four-week trial. Do not wait. Go to stamps.com and before you do anything else, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in SAVAGE. That's stamps.com. Enter S-A-V-A-G-E. Hi, Dan. I'm a 29-year-old bisexual living in the Midwest. I'm calling because I wanted to submit one of those quarantine sex stories you talked about. And last night was really interesting. We've been doing a lot of really interesting uh, sex quarantine things, but last night was particularly fun because we... Like playing with the idea of um, playing with strangers, but right now it's a little difficult to do that. So, in order to exercise that um, sort of fantasy, we started texting each other um, as if we were different people. Uh, we started texting each other as if we were two people who met on Tinder. Um, he was pretending like he had a wife, and I was pretending like I had a boyfriend, and we were in the same room with the significant others, but texting each other and sort of cheating on each other with one another. It was really sexy. Uh, things like escalated from the text and he offered me, the girl he's texting, to come over while his wife is sleeping. So I tell him as his uh, girlfriend, I'm just going to go for a drive and I need to clear my head. But really, I'm sneaking out of the house and going to go fuck a guy I met on Tinder. So there was a lot of this sort of like double toying with each other. Um, I got up and I went and got dressed and I walked out of the house through the back door and came in through the front door as if I was a different person. It was really interesting and exciting. He fucked me as the girl he was cheating on. And then when I came back home, quote unquote, through the back door, 
he then fucked me as his significant other who he found out was cheating on him. It was like just so much mind play. I don't even know how to explain it, but we've been having sex on and off since last night, all night and this morning, thinking about how fun it was to toy with each other and feel like we were different people. <laughs> it really brought us back to how we started. That was just a really interesting and exciting night. And I just encourage other people to try some kinky, weird things to fulfill your fantasies right now. Thank you for calling in and sharing your quarantine sex story. Reminds me of that cliche that the biggest sex organ is the one between our ears. Not everyone can role play, but if you can do that kind of suspension of disbelief, if you can act a little bit, yeah, that sounds really fun and really hot. The important takeaway here, though, is not to just ape this, not to just borrow the script. The important takeaway here with your sex partner, if you're lucky enough to be sheltering with your sex partner right now, is to get creative and have fun and play, play with each other. Thank you so much for calling. If you want to share your quarantine sex story with us, give us a call 206-302-2064. We may share yours at the top of next week's show. Hi, Dan. So I'm a cis bi girl calling from Canada, and my fiancé and I have been together for four years, engaged for two, and all things considered, we have a spectacular relationship. Uh, we're both late 20s now, and we're holding off on a wedding until probably our early 30s, because what's the rush, right? Um, we've weathered many tests of our relationship. We've traveled extensively. We successfully accomplished a very productive year of long distance. We love each other's families, have an incredible community. There are really no doubts about a future. But my question's about breaking a preset dynamic in our sex life. Um, my partner is a cis straight man who spent his early 20s working really hard in academia. Um, he obtained a doctorate in physics at the age of 25. And so for that reason, he kind of put his sex life aside. Uh, he's quite quiet and really social, though, because he's got a really progressive uh, friend group. Um, but somehow he never really saw himself in a sexual way. So when we began dating, it became clear that he had never done much of anything sexually. I was really experienced because I consider my sexuality to be a really key part of my character. It's a way to bond, and it's ultimately my favorite form of play. So when he told me he was a virgin, I quickly offered to guide him through those experiences. So fast forward four years, and sometimes that dynamic resurfaces in the bedroom. Uh, this dynamic is where I'm the teacher, I brought more to the table, but I am a sub, um, and he's content with being dominant. So there's this lingering feeling that I will always be the dominant one for being the person to open him up to his sexuality. He's been really receptive, and he's really selfless in bed. He's really focused on my pleasure, so I guess I should have no complaints. But there's this feedback loop that's compounded by the fact that he's probably just not as sexual as I am. His libido ebbs and flows, but it's typically low, and maybe it doesn't help the fact that he's had a very stressful three years trying to complete a doctorate. He generally isn't the person to make the first move unless I ask him earlier in the week. I usually plant a seed saying, I'm feeling kind of saucy, maybe you should surprise me by making a move. But this feeds into that dynamic of I'm the move maker, the teacher, the one who brought the things to the table. In the past, we've solved this problem with non-monogamy, where I've seen other partners for sexual needs during long distance. And we've considered this again, but when we've been non-monogamous, he just doesn't take advantage. He's really happy being monogamous and sharing intimacy with one person, but he's also happy uh, letting me do my own thing. So I guess I should count myself really lucky as he's really one in a million. Anyways, do you have any ideas on how to break this dynamic? I can't change the fact that I took his virginity and that he didn't have other experiences. And perhaps he is kind of destined to have low libido, um, but maybe there's something we haven't thought of to help me break this feeling of me always being the dominant one, no matter what. It isn't just that you're the dominant one. You're the initiator. Your boyfriend has your fiance and good idea. A long engagement is always a good idea, particularly when you're in your early twenties. I never understand what the rush is for young people who get engaged. You want to get married right away. Engagement. That's a nice time to have a fiance. Why not draw that out a little bit? You will have decades and decades and decades to be married. And the quicker you rush into marriage, the likelier you are to regret it. So draw out that engagement. I support that lifestyle choice. Anyway, your fiance has a lower libido than you do. And that's just the price of admission that you're going to have to pay to be with this guy. This guy that sounds spectacular in every way, including 
the way that he allows you to have sex with other people if you need to have sex with other people without feeling a need to have sex with other people himself. He's monogamous and happily monogamous and content to be monogamous to you but doesn't require you to be monogamous to him. So Yahtzee, you win. You need that sort of DS feeling, that dominant sort of masculine presence in your sex life and and, and he can bring it. You have to prompt it, but he can bring it and that's great. But he's also made it clear that he's content for you to find that elsewhere, to supplement what he brings with some outside dom energy from some other dude or dudes. You win. This is a non-problem, very nearly a non-problem. You just have to let go of your hang-up about the fact that he was a virgin when you met and that you played the role of teacher. It sounds like you've attached a lot of meaning and import and symbolism to that, that you were his very first sexual partner, that he was inexperienced, that you had to lead him. But look where you've led him. You've led him to a place where he can bring the dominant energy when you prompt, when you initiate, when you light that fuse and tell him you kind of need it in a couple of days and you'd like to be surprised and he brings it and he allows you to go out there and get whatever it is you need that he isn't able to provide you elsewhere. So good job, teach. All you have to learn to do now is suspend your disbelief. Yes, sometimes you have to ask, sometimes you have to prompt. Particularly if you're interested in sex with any kind of power exchange or DS dynamic, that has to be negotiated. Even if you weren't his teacher, even if he arrived at your relationship sexually experienced, to figure out what works for you two, and even if he arrived experienced with being dominant sexually, to figure out what worked for you two in that DS space, that power exchange space, you would have to teach him what worked for you. You would have to instruct him through negotiation around what it is that you wanted to experience from him and at his hands. You may want to ask him to get a little bit improvisational now that he knows after so many years together the general shape of your desires to give him permission to challenge him, not to surprise you with when it's going to happen, but also around the margins, not with anything shocking or new, but around the margins of your established desires to roll something into a scene or you know one of your play nights that you didn't ask for but that he can – safely assume you might be up for and then of course pull back if that's not something that you're going to enjoy that you can step out of roles for a second uh in the scene but anyway have fun suspend your disbelief about this teacher student role and enjoy what you created here what you found what you've built for yourself with this guy it sounds in every respect absolutely totally awesome and you should be thanking the universe for bringing you two together Whether you are temporarily alone during this stupid pandemic or you're lucky enough to be in quarantine with someone you're having sex with, now more than ever is the time to experiment, to get creative, to try new sex toys. Because why not, right? If not now, when? Make the best of this situation. And to do that, I recommend Eva. Way back in 2014, a two-woman startup called Dame Products broke the internet with a new idea. They invented Eva, a vibrator for couples that provides hands-free clitoral stimulation. Using an incredibly successful crowdfunding campaign, they made Eva the most crowdfunded sex toy in history. There are women out there who need a vibrator in order to climax, and a handheld vibrator can be awkward to incorporate into partnered sex, particularly PIV sex. But Eva, Eva is the hands-free solution, the hands-free vibrator, clitoral stimulation that makes great sex, less awkward sex, possible for more people than ever. And now Dame Products is on the front lines of sexual wellness with four vibrators, a sex pillow, all-natural lube, and much more to come. Founded by a sex educator and an engineering whiz, Dame develops bedroom solutions with the help of real humans and real couples like you. They're here, Dame Products. They're here to help you have better and better and better orgasms. Go to dameproducts.com slash savage today for $10 off your first order. That's dameproducts.com slash savage. Hi, Dan. I'm a 34-year-old gay married man. My husband and I have been together for nine years and married for five. Our relationship has been long distance for its entirety. He's in the military and has been deployed five times in the last decade for six to nine months each. 
We're currently halfway through yet another deployment, and the coronavirus lockdown has added additional isolation and stress while I'm at home and he's in the Middle East. For the first time, I've began to wonder, have I finally had enough of only having a part-time husband? In the last year, we've only spent about 100 nights together in the same bed in the same country. I love him and he loves me, but I'm plagued by the feeling that love just isn't enough anymore. I want a proper full-time marriage where we spend most nights together. Doesn't have to be all of them, but 30 to 50% of each year just isn't okay. He's never going to leave the military. He was in before we met and it's a lifelong commitment for him. But after all this time, I'm lonely. We have a monogamish relationship, so this isn't about sexual connection with other men. We have that if we choose. The problem is simply this. Some days I think I deserve more. My advice to others in this situation would be simple. There are two options. Accept that I have a part-time husband and all of the loneliness and some benefits that come with that. Or leave and find somebody with whom I can be in a normal, full-time relationship. I don't want to do the latter, but the former I only seem to be able to do for short periods before I get fed up again. In essence, the military is the third person in our relationship, and she's a demanding bitch that often has to come before me. When we're physically together, it's amazing. So because there's nothing I can't ask on the Savage Lovecast, how do we work through this? Has the bad that comes with the marriage finally overridden the goods? Is this never-ending quarantine creating a problem or just exposing one that was always there? Can I accept something that most other couples would find unacceptable? So you don't want to be the part-time husband anymore. You don't want to have a part-time husband anymore. But you also don't want to leave your husband, which puts you where you are now with your husband alone temporarily while he's deployed and miserable. Sounds to me like maybe you're fed up. Sounds to me like maybe the misery of separation isn't worth whatever joy and pleasure you have with him when you're together, particularly right now when you're not able to see anybody else when he's away. You're not able to act on the monogamous aspect of your relationship and find somebody to be with you that night or for a few nights while your husband is deployed to make his absence more bearable. And so, yeah, this lockdown, this quarantine has made it harder for you. And that was the accommodation that you two made, the monogamishimi. That was the accommodation that made the strain on your relationship that his career in the military places there bearable. And now without that accommodation, without being able to act on the monogamishimi, you're more miserable, more acutely miserable than you typically were. And I just want to highlight this for casual listeners, for people whose problem this isn't. We hear all the time about a relationship that's destroyed by non-monogamy. Somebody opens a relationship, a couple has a three-way. If it leads to disaster, we hear about it because the relationship ends. We are much less likely to hear about those relationships, those marriages that are saved by non-monogamy. This is an example of a marriage that has been made possible, that has been saved by the monogamish allowance that has made it possible for this guy, for this caller to stay married to this man and stay sane. And one of the problems right now for you caller is that has been taken off the table. The thing that made it possible, the thing that saved your marriage is probably the monogamish accommodation, the allowance to sleep with other people. And that's off the table right now. But brother listeners, you know, just wanted to highlight this. We hear about the relationships that non-monogamy destroys and the marriages that non-monogamies are some random three-way destroys. We rarely hear about the relationships that non-monogamy and the marriages that non-monogamy saves. This is something I think you should discuss with your husband. You know, there are a lot of studies out there that show that deployments place strain on marriages, divorce rates for military couples with one person in the military or both people in the military are very high and military couples are likelier to divorce than civilian couples. Sounds to me like that may be where you're headed, particularly if, you know, you're 10 years into this marriage into this relationship and he was in the military before you met and intends to remain in the military indefinitely, it will always be thus. It will always be like, this is what you signed up for. This was 10 years ago, the price of admission you were willing to pay to be with this guy. And just 
you know, reading the tone in the room or the tone of your voice, it seems like that's not of a price of admission that you can see yourself paying for another decade. All that said, I wouldn't make a move right now. This is an extraordinary circumstance. The coronavirus, the pandemic, it will pass in at the outside a couple of years. I hate to even contemplate it. I hate to say these things. A couple of years, maybe a little bit longer, we will have a vaccine. We will come through on the other side of this. And the accommodation that made it possible for you to bear being married to the man that you love and that you married will return. You will be able to act on the monogamishmi again, on the monogamish aspect of your relationship. And maybe that patch makes it possible for you to stay in this marriage, which is what you say that you want to do. You want to stay married. But he's not going to leave the military. You've also said somebody loses here. It's been you for the last decade. You say that he was in the military before you met. You've been together 15 years. If he's been in the military for longer than 10 years, maybe 15 years, maybe he's going to end his career another five years and you just have to grit your teeth and power through this. And I'll end with this and I, and I hope he's done this. And I think that he must have, because you would have said something if he hadn't done this. If he hadn't honored your sacrifice, as they say, if he didn't tell you, if he didn't communicate to you how appreciative he is of you being his husband, being married to him, and allowing him to continue on with this career in the military that means so much to him, that your forbearance has allowed him to have both the man he wants in his life and the career that he wants and values. And I hope you feel appreciated. You don't sound like you feel very appreciated right now. Get on the phone with your husband, express your frustration, and I hope that he knows enough, has a high enough emotional IQ to shower you with the appreciation that you clearly deserve and seem to desperately need right now. For all our sakes, we need to avoid crowds in any way we can right now. But what if you need to go to the post office? What if you need postage to send out letters and packages? Don't worry. Stamps.com is here to help. With Stamps.com, you can print postage on demand at home and skip those lines and crowds at the post office. Plus, you can actually save money with discounts that you can't get at the post office. And this is something new and really valuable. Stamps.com also offers UPS services with discounts up to 62% and no UPS residential surcharges. Stamps.com for years has been bringing all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your computer in the safety and comfort of your own home, office, or anywhere else you're hunkering down right now. Whether you're a small business sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, or you're just working from home and need to mail stuff, Stamps.com can handle it with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail that you're sending anywhere in the world. Once your mail is ready, just leave it for your mail carrier, schedule a free package pickup, or drop it in a mailbox. No human contact required. It really is that simple and that safe. And like I said, with Stamps.com, you get great discounts too. Five cents off every first class stamp and up to 62% off shipping rates. Stamps.com makes so much sense, especially now, saving you time and money and keeping you safe and at home in these crazy times. And right now, on top of all that, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SAVAGE. That's Stamps.com, click the mic, enter SAVAGE. Stay safe, my friends. Hi, Dan. I live in the rural Midwest. I'm asexual female, and I uh, live in a really nice apartment complex. And this morning I came out, and there was a truck parked across from me, and it had an LGBT sticker. And I thought, oh, cool. So I went up to it, and then I saw that it was LGBT, and the L was for liberty, the G was for guns, the B was for beer, and the T was for Trump. And it, it just really upset me because I, I, I'm seeing more of these kinds of things in my community. And I just want to know, am I overreacting? I kind of want to go to the building manager and be like, you know, I'm part of this community. I don't think it's fair for people to be making fun of gay people, but it is a bumper sticker 
So maybe I'm overreacting. I don't know. It just shook me up, but maybe I should just laugh it off or something. I don't know. I, I just like to know, what do you think? Do you think I should say something? Or do you think I should let it go? You want to make that asshole's day, the person who owns that truck, the person who put that bumper sticker on that truck, go complain to building management about how you felt so attacked. Go be the snowflake that actually the right-wingers are. Oh, I have to wear a mask in the store. I can't take it. Oh, I can't get my tips frosted. Boo-hoo-hoo. They're the snowflakes. We're not. We're made of tougher stuff. We couldn't exist as queers on this planet if we weren't made of tougher stuff than they are. So you saw this bumper sticker, LGBT. We've seen this for years. It used to be Liberty Guns, Beer and Trucks, Liberty Gun, Beer and Tits, Liberty Guns, Beer and Texas. And at least two of those four things, I'm down. I'm kind of down with Texas too, a little bit. Austin's nice. Houston had a lesbian mayor. Uh, But, you know, Liberty, but we live here and we have the liberty to be gay here. And thank God. And who doesn't like beer? They serve beer in gay bars and trucks. I've seen homos drive them to gay bars where then they drink beer and they feel at liberty to suck each other's dicks. So not everything on that bumper sticker is ipso facto (laughs) objectionable to queer people. But all of that, but, you know, adding Trump to it and Trump is such a rabidly anti-LGBT president and has enacted all sorts of anti-LGBT policies, including, you know, giving doctors and nurses, the right to refuse care to trans patients, kicking trans people out of the military, uh, all sorts of anti-gay. Anyway, yeah, adding Trump to that makes it specifically anti-gay, and you're right to see that as an attack on you as a member of the queer community, but you don't want to play along. You don't want to take the bait. This is somebody with their truck, with their little fucking bumper sticker, trying to, and I'm making fun of them, not you, trying to troll you. Don't feed the trolls. Don't make this asshole's day. Have a beer and forget it. Just shrug it off. Don't make this asshole's day by letting him think, even if it's true, that his bumper sticker managed to ruin yours. People, there is no reason to hoard toilet paper. There is enough. You look ridiculous hoarding toilet paper. And you know what? Toilet paper is a terrible way to keep your butt clean anyway. You should switch to the Tushy Bidet. It's the modern bidet that cleans your tuchus way better than any toilet paper ever could. Using a precise stream of clean water, the Tushy Bidet cleanses your butt, washing away what toilet paper normally leaves smeared around on your behind so you can walk away from every poop feeling fresh and confident. With a Tushy Bidet, you have one less thing to worry about. Plus, it's only 79 bucks. Stop wiping and start washing with Tushy. Get yours at hellotushy.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I dealt with severe, severe depression all my life, literally life-threatening. A couple of years ago, I finally got on the right medication after experimenting with my doctor, and it saved my life. But it completely tanked my sex drive, gave me ED, delayed my orgasms to the point where orgasms became a myth. It was horrible. And I told my doctor, look, it's okay. It's a good trade-off. But my doctor, who was amazing and very sex positive, she uh, eventually wore me down with her insistence that I try Viagra. Again, I never, I, I just thought, well, you know, goodbye sex. She finally wore me down. I tried it. And I am so, so, so glad I did. Sex is always, sex my entire life was a huge part of me, a huge part of my life, and it was really important for my well-being. So the Viagra, I know results may vary, but the Viagra has been a wonder drug for me, and I feel like a complete person for the first time, maybe since I was a kid, because before I had a wonderful sex life and crippling depression or no depression, no sex life. Yeah, better living through chemistry. I'm glad you had a sex positive doctor who wanted to work with you on this and who valued and prioritized your sex life in a moment when you weren't valuing and prioritizing your sex life. And you sound grateful. Sounds like you're going to be eternally grateful to your doctor for being sex positive and uh, assertive at that moment. It's interesting that Viagra is helping you in this way. 
We've talked a lot about Viagra on the show. We've talked a lot about female Viagra, which doesn't exist. A pill to, you know, induce horniness. That's what they're trying to do with, you know, female Viagra. It's a pill that will treat low desire or low libido in women and up their desire. And they haven't found that pill yet. And they call it the female Viagra, the holy grail female Viagra. And that really is inaccurate because Viagra typically doesn't induce desire. It aids someone who's already horny when it comes to performance. Makes it possible for the dude to get the erection that he wished he had at that moment because he's super horny and wants to have sex. Sounds like, though, what you've done is kind of the flip. You're using Viagra. It helps you get an erection. You begin having sex and then you get horny, which is often something that's associated with Female sexuality. Men get horny and want to have sex. And I'm about to make generalizations about 3.5 billion people and 3.5 billion people. There will be hundreds of millions of exceptions. The exceptions are probably listening to the show or many of them. But the saw is, the old saw is, men get horny and want to have sex. And many women begin to have sex and get horny. Sounds to me like the Viagra helps you begin to have sex and then the horniness kicks in for you. It's a good tip for other men out there who are on antidepressants that they need, that have saved their lives, but have tanked their libidos, and harmed their sex lives. Give Viagra a try, get that erection, and then see if you weren't inspired to do something with it. Hi, Dan. So uh, my boyfriend and I are in a really strong, loving, open relationship. We met on Seeking Arrangements, and for the first six months, it was pretty casual arrangement-y, but it has grown much more since then, and we've been dating for almost two years. A couple months ago, I discovered that after his divorce, he got a sex doll, And she is still lovingly hidden and kept away in his basement. And when I found this out, I, of course, immediately needed to see her and meet her. Um, And once I did that, uh, he confided that he only really used her twice. She's really awkward and bendy and they weigh a lot. Like it's like you're lugging around a dead body. And so after kind of using her twice, he kind of got annoyed and didn't really bring her out ever again. Um, And so now he just has her. And so our question to you is, how do you ethically get rid of a sex doll in an environmentally friendly way? Um, You can't sell her. I mean, you could, I guess, but she's been used. So who would buy a used sex doll? You can't throw her away. That's terrible for the environment, all that silicone just sitting in the dump. So if you have any recommendations on how to get rid of her, we would really greatly appreciate it. I'm flabbergasted that you listen to this show and yet you are slut shaming this sex doll. You're asserting that no one could possibly be interested in taking the sex doll off your hands because she's been used twice. I assure you, there are men out there, probably some women out there too, who would be happy to take that sex doll off your and your boyfriend's hands and out of your boyfriend's basement. Unlike a real woman's vagina, a sex doll's vagina is not self-cleaning, but that doesn't mean it can't be cleaned. That thing can be power washed. And those things, those, you know, full size sex dolls, they're fucking expensive. There are lots of people out there. I promise you wish they could afford to buy one, but can't. They're just primitively expensive. Finding you guys on Craigslist or wherever it is that people can sell kinky shit, selling it, you know, a fourth of the cost or a tenth of the cost, this sex doll, taking it off your hands, taking it out of your boyfriend's basement, keeping it out of a landfill. I promise you, someone will step forward. Don't project your own disgust onto everybody else in the world who might be interested in sex dolls. You might not be interested in using one that has been used by someone else, not even your boyfriend. But I promise you, there are lots of guys out there who would have zero hangups about using your boyfriend's lovingly pre-used, pre-owned sex doll. Keep it out of the landfill. Sell it. Hi, Dan. I have a low-stakes question for you. I am in my mid-20s, and I'm about to break up with my boyfriend. I wish things had worked out. Um, He's a really sweet guy, and we've only been together for a few months, but our jobs are bringing us apart, and I don't want to do long distance. So my question is about nudes. Um, I've always asked previous partners to delete them, knowing that they might not and tell me that they did, but also trusting that so far I've dated fundamentally decent guys. This guy is so sweet and respectful, and I'm hoping that since we're breaking up for structural reasons, we can stick the landing with a little time and stay friends. All the nudes he has are screenshots from Snapchat, so I'm comfortable that I know exactly what he has, none with my face or anything like that. 
Um, so should I ask him to delete the nudes again, knowing that he might not do it, even if I ask and just tell me that he did? Or should I let it go and know that even if the unlikely worst happens with me and him, they're fairly anonymous and unincriminating? You want to know whether you should ask him to delete the nudes, your nudes, or let it go. And it's not an either or. That's a false choice. What you need to do, because it's what you want to do, is ask him to delete your nudes and then let it go. Because you will never know for sure whether he honored your request and you don't want to obsess about it. Hopefully he's a good and decent guy who will delete the nudes at your request. I think that's something that an ex has a right to ask us. But there's a limit to your control in that situation for you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt for you to verify really ever whether your ex deleted those nudes. Thankfully, the nudes are non-identifying. They don't have your face in them. So if he's an asshole when you break up with him, he's less likely to be able to weaponize them and use them as revenge porn or you know, punish you with them. And even if his phone were to get hacked and that's how your nudes, if he still possesses them, got out there, you won't be harmed by them being released into the wilds of the internet. But yeah, ask, ask. It's clearly what you want to do. Ask, then let it go. Not ask or let it go. Hi, Dan, Nancy, and the tech-savvy at-risk youth. This is a very excited, cis, heteroflexible man living in Melbourne, Australia. I'm also a Magnum subscriber and can't recommend that option more highly. So much Dan, so many guests, so much research, so much fun, and no commercials. Uh, and I've already listened to all the archives. Your podcast has meant so much to me, I can't even tell you. It has helped me to grow as a partner and person and assisted me in navigating relationships and sex and being way more satisfied. The Magnum version of the show drops in my feed here in Australia on Tuesdays and always makes me so happy when I receive it. But I'm sending you this message and I'm really excited right now, uh, not just because today is Friday quarantine afternoon sex day with my partner, but because I have just purchased tickets for the two of us to Humpfest. So while you're live and streaming from Seattle on Friday, the 15th of May, we will be here uh, watching in Australia on Saturday, the 16th of May at one in the afternoon. <laughs> uh, that's going to be a very fun, naughty and exciting afternoon indeed. Thanks again, Dan, to you and your whole team. Cheers. We get calls like this every once in a while. I never play calls like this. I am too Catholic to accept a compliment with any grace. I appreciate everyone out there who's a, a listener, whether you're a Magnum subscriber or not. Really appreciate your support and engagement over all of these years that we've been doing this podcast. And particularly appreciate all the people who call in with their questions, who call in and make themselves vulnerable uh, and invite not just me to respond, but often listeners to respond. Our response calls are a very important part of the show and, and, and people's tweets. I've often said about the call and the show that sometimes the best advice uh, comes from the readers and the listeners, not from me. I'm only running this call because I do want to plug Hump. Hump is amazing. Hump is my little amateur porn film festival. Every film is five minutes or less. And, and the whole idea about Hump was to bring back going to a movie theater and sitting next to strangers in the dark and watching pornography the way your grandparents did when Debbie Does Dallas was playing in theaters and Deep Throat and Behind the Green Door. And we can't do that right now. We can't bring people together in theaters. We thought we were going to have to cancel the 15th annual Hump tour. But we asked the filmmakers the last minute if they would be comfortable with us for the first time ever putting Hump online and streaming it. And so many of them said yes, that now we're able to bring Hump to people all over the world, including in Australia, where Hump has never been until now. Go to humpfilmfest.com for information about streaming times and dates. And please join us. And this is not about paying myself a compliment that Hump is so amazing. Hump is so amazing because of the performers, because of the filmmakers. The creativity and passion and diversity on display is just amazing. Hump is Christmas, as far as I'm concerned. It's my favorite time of the year. And I'm so grateful to the filmmakers for allowing us to stream it. And I want to accept this compliment that hump is amazing. And people are excited to see it not on my own behalf, but on behalf of all of the filmmakers go to humpfilmfest.com for information about when you can watch hump the comfort of your own home, hopefully in the arms of your own lovers. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read some of your tweets. Aubrey Hirsch tweets, legit almost had to unsubscribe from the Savage Lovecast when I heard Dan refer to vaginal secretions as 
clitty litter. If it has to be in my brain, it has to be in yours, she says to her followers, sorry, not sorry. All right, now, I didn't refer to vaginal secretions as clitty litter. I was quoting someone who floated that after I highlighted the paucity of universally understood slang terms for vaginal secretions. This is a classic example of the use-mentioned distinction. I didn't use or endorse CL. I mentioned it and objected to its use. And I promise you, Aubrey and everyone else out there listening, this is the last time I'm ever going to mention it. Space Force Cadet Aaron tweets, No, Dan Savage, gruel is not acceptable. No way, no how. Oh my God, people, you have to listen to all the words I use on the show. Most importantly, the words that come immediately before and immediately after a word or phrase you don't like. Because I said no to that horrifying portmanteau also. Already on the show, you heard me mention, not use, mention that word, gruel. So you shouldn't be telling me it's unacceptable, Space Cadet Aaron. I know that. You should be praising me for rejecting it without having to be told. And finally, Lana Sequoia tweets, I was at the grocery store listening to the TSEG podcast, and the guy behind the meat counter asked what I was listening to, and I fumbled and said the Savage Lovecast because Dan Savage is my favorite, and the meat counter guy tells me he's a subscriber to the Magnum. Needless to say, I was cracking up inside because I almost got outed for my dirty little secret of listening to escort podcasts. Thanks, Lena. I wasn't familiar with the TSEG podcast hosted by Exotic Vivian, but I'm definitely going to check it out. And a big thank you to you, Meat Counter Guy, for subscribing to the Magnum. All right. If you want me to potentially read your tweet about the show on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. This is a response to episode 707 around sex and porn addiction. You might consider that any behavior that you feel is disrupting your life or preventing you from living the life you want to live is certainly a problem. And if you can't work because of the behavior or if you can't interact with your loved ones because of your behavior or you just can't do whatever else you need or want to do in your life because of this specific behavior, it's probably requires attention. And whether you want to call that addiction is irrelevant. And the fact that you're not living the life you want to live because of this behavior is the issue and probably requires outside help. So if you're watching porn every day, but can honestly tell yourself that you're living the life you want to live, you're a contributing citizen, you're connected to your loved ones, you might not have a problem. Hi, Dan. I've been thinking about the woman who's married to the amputee. With her, I think you have to keep in mind that she and her husband are just folk. They're not going to open their marriage or call a sex worker. So essentially, unless she's going to deny her husband for the rest of his life, she has to figure out how to have sex with him. What I find works in marriage is that you have to agree to a day and a time and how often. In her case, that way her husband doesn't always have to ask for it. And then she needs to recognize that she's not turned on by his body. So you have to turn yourself on. Read some erotic fiction. There's great short stories online. Touch yourself with some lubricant beforehand. That way you're already turned on. You can just go for it. I think Dan's advice of turning the lights off is good. You also want to use the power of visualization. Visualize your husband how he was when you fell in love with him. Or visualize Anderson Cooper, whatever does it for you. For a while, you might be faking it, but eventually you might come to get your groove back. Either way, you're doing this as an act of love for your husband, and your relationship's going to be better for this than if you just said goodbye to sex. This is for the woman who was struggling with her bisexuality and was uh, had called herself overweight. Um, I can really relate to that feeling of struggling with your size, um, but I'm here from the future to tell you there is a lock for every key. I'm 36 and about four years ago, I went through a pretty slutty phase and put myself on Craigslist when that was a thing. Um, size 18, 20, and I really love uh, fit, muscular men. And I can tell you right now, the internet provides, I found many, many guys who were seeking a thick, fluffy lady like myself. And it really did wonders for my confidence. I learned a ton about boundaries. And although I had fun with both situations, I really learned a difference between uh, genuine attraction and fetish fetishizing, which is what really led me to find my uh, partner. Uh, we've been together now three years, and I have never felt sexier than I do with him. So just know that you don't have to settle for scraps. You are not a consolation prize, but there are actually lots of people out there desiring you and your body type. Um, you just have to put yourself out there. 
Before we leave it there, again, please join me, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth for our first ever Savage Love live stream on Thursday, June 4th at 7 p.m. Pacific time. You can send your questions in advance to livestream at savagelovecast.com or send us your questions live during the event, and I will answer as many as I can in one fun-filled Zoom meeting. All proceeds from this show will be donated to Northwest Harvest, a nonprofit that distributes food to more than 370 food banks throughout Washington State. Go to savagelovecast.com slash events to get those tickets now and we're gonna leave it there 206-302-2064 is the number here at the savage Lovecast. if you'd like to record a question or a comment for a future show give us a buzz 206-302-2064 even better use the voice memo app on your phone to record your question and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com You still have a few more chances to see the 15th annual Hump Film Festival online. We're live streaming My Dirty Little Film Fest at a variety of different times, including times that work for European viewers. This weekend through June 12th, get your tickets at humpfilmfest.com. And the producers of Pump have come up with a new film festival starting this Friday, May 22nd. Get your tickets to the Confinement Online Film Festival. You'll see an incredible range of short films, some funny, some wild, some poignant, all of them adventures in our current state of lockdown. You'll get to vote for your favorites, and winners will get cash prizes. Go to thestranger.com slash cough. That's thestranger.com slash C-O-F-F to find out more and get your tickets. And finally, our, our hearts go out to Mark Marin, who was a guest on the show last week, and everyone else who's devastated by the loss of filmmaker and director Lynn Shelton. We are so very, very sorry. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Diana Adams on Twitter at Diana Adams ESQ. Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth. And Nancy, we'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thank you, Diana.